Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my favorite meal prep bags, Malami. Malami are great believers of eating well to look after your health and well-being. Food and nutrition are key when it comes to living a healthy and balanced life, and they have completely reinvented meal prep bags as you know them. Their Malami bags are functional, innovative, and highly fashionable, and I'm so happy to partner with them and can happily offer you guys a 10% off discount code if you use my code LEANNE10. This works off the entire range of bags and also accessories, but not during a sale. Visit malami.com.au, that's M-E-A-L-A-M-I.com.au to see the range of bags and accessories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. You have a special episode with myself today because I've been getting so many questions around fat loss and I'm trying to lose weight and I don't know what I'm doing wrong or I'm trying to do all the right things and the scales just aren't budging. So today on the potty, I'm talking you through the top 10 reasons why you're not losing weight. So these are the top 10 reasons that I see most of the clients who start working with me in the beginning. These are the things that they're doing wrong. Well, these are the reasons why weight loss hasn't worked for them in the past. Now we're going to try and say fat loss rather than weight loss. Because the first thing that's really important to note is that weight loss can happen on the scale if you're losing fat mass, if you're losing water mass, or if you're losing muscle mass. So ideally we want to hold on to our muscle mass. It's like gold because muscles are metabolically active tissue. The more muscle you have, the better your metabolism. So for fat loss, muscles are key. So we really want to hold on to our muscle mass. Water weight fluctuations are neither here nor there where we're not too concerned about them. The water weight will fluctuate with our hormones and that sort of thing up and down a little bit on the scale. But what we want to drop is our fat mass. So if that scale is dropping three, four, five kilos in a week because you're in a low carb diet, most of that is just water weight. If your calories are significantly low, some of that is muscle mass, unfortunately, and a small amount of that is fat mass as well. So really when you're aiming for weight loss, we really just want fat loss. We don't want to lose our muscle sores and we're not really too concerned if the water weight's fluctuating up or down. So I want you to think about what a sustainable rate of fat loss for most people is. And for most bodies on average, it is about 500 grams to a kilo a week. Okay. Larger bodies will lose more. Smaller bodies will lose less. Obviously, if your goal is only to lose two to three kilos, you're going to lose a lot less than that. If your goal is to lose 30, 40, 50 kilos, you might be dropping one to two kilos in a week. So on average for my American clients, it's about 1.1 to 2.2 pounds a week. That's as much as we should really be aiming for from a fat loss perspective. Anything more than about a kilo a week, if you're in a larger body, maybe a kilo and a half to max, it's really, you're likely going to be eating into your muscle mass and seeing a bit of water weight fluctuations as well. So the goal shouldn't ever be to drop three to five kilos by Friday or in the first week or so. It's just far too much. It's likely too restrictive and you're far more likely to regain and put it back on again. So slow, sustainable weight loss is key. And the final thing I'm just going to mention before I jump into my top 10 reasons why you're not losing weight today is really to listen to your body, right? 
If you jump on the scale and you're bloated, you're puffy, you're constipated, um, you know, you've, you've had a really big carb heavy or, or um, salt laden meal the night before and you're feeling bloated and puffy, you got to take that weight that you see with a grain of salt. Like if you're feeling bloated, puffy, like you haven't been to the bathroom in two or three days and the scale doesn't go down, it's likely you have lost something. You're just retaining a lot of fluid and that fluid can tend to mask any sort of fat loss that you might see on the scale. So always take that weight with a little bit of a grain of salt. So I want you guys to remember that. Assess how you're feeling along with the data that the scale is telling you as well. Alrighty, number one reason why you're not losing weight, you're not being consistent. And I know that I talk about this all the time on my Instagram account, but I want you to think about what consistency actually means, because it's kind of different for everybody. If you are eating super healthy and clean Monday to Friday, and then you're just letting yourself have a bit of a free-for-all on the weekend, it's not enough. Two days off a whole week can actually be enough to kick you out of a deficit. So just eating well and exercising Monday to Friday, then not doing any exercise and being totally off track with your diet on the weekend is actually enough or a big enough reason why you're not losing weight. And other people, just instead of eating clean Monday to Friday and blowing out the weekend, what they'll do is they'll eat well all day long. And most of us will even under eat all day long. Then we over snack, we overgraze at nighttime. So again, the calories in the day are too high and it'll kick us out of a deficit and it won't actually lead to weight loss. So I want you to always remember that just like one ice cream won't make you gain weight, one salad won't make you lose weight. It's what you do consistently over time. And you might think eating well Monday to Friday is enough, but most of us will eat two, three, four, five times a day in terms of meals and snacks. If you're riding off an entire Saturday and an entire Sunday, that could be 10 meals or eating occasions that you've just written off. And throughout the week, yes, Monday to Friday is great, but if your deficit isn't big enough to compensate for the huge amount of calories you're having on the weekend, it's not going to be enough for fat loss. So if you feel like you struggle with consistency or you feel like you do all the things right and you occasionally have a couple of off meals here and there, try keeping an honest food diary for two weeks. This food diary, write down everything that goes into your mouth, food and drink. This will really show you where it's not adding up and where you're really lacking the consistency because often we forget about the little things that creep in. Yes, we remember that we went out for pizza on Friday night. We had a couple of drinks on Saturday and we took the kids for ice cream on Sunday. Those things are pretty easy to remember, but you might think, oh, it's not too bad. I generally eat pretty healthy, but it's all of the other little things, right? It's the You know, the muffin that you got with your coffee on a Monday morning because you were running out the door and you you didn't have time to eat breakfast. It's the couple of chocolates that you had out of the box of favorites in the lunchroom on Tuesday morning. It's the the office brownie that your coworker gave you on Wednesday. It's the second glass of wine you had on Thursday because let's be honest, Thursday was a bad day. Normally you just have one, then a second glass creeped in. And on Friday, you got the Uber Eats, but you also ordered a small serve of dessert or a serve of extra fries or something like that. So it's all of these little things that tend to creep in when we go, oh, I eat pretty well. What does pretty well actually mean? Because if you're not being consistent, I would say 70, 80, 90% of the time, you're probably not going to achieve your fat loss goals. All right. Point number two, the weekend is derailing you. So this is very closely linked to the point beforehand when I talked about consistency, but most of us are far overdoing it on the weekend. 
a lot of us actually eat more and move less than we actually think we do. And the weekends are typical times that we lose the structure, we lose the consistency, and we don't cook at home anywhere near as much. A lot of us will eat out for brunch, but it's not just the brunch. We'll get a large coffee with, you know, it might be full cream milk, might be a barista style almond milk, still got quite a bit of calories in it. Then we might have a juice. Then we might have a large cafe breakfast, which if I'm being honest, even something that might have some healthy ingredients in it, like a vegetarian big breakfast or something with some veggies, some halloumi, some poached eggs, some sourdough, um, even some avocado on the side, that is likely nearly twice as many calories as an average sort of female needs for fat loss. So then you couple that with, okay, then I'm not meeting lunch because I haven't, you know, I've run out of groceries. I don't go to the grocery store. I pick up a couple of sushi rolls while I'm out and about. Then I have another large coffee or I have another pressed juice or an iced latte or something like that. Then I'm having a couple of snacks. I'm having a bit of rice crackers and hummus while I'm, you know, getting the kids ready for dinner. Then Saturday night rolls around. I think, oh, I don't really want to cook. So we order some more Uber Eats. So you might not be eating more food in terms of the volume on the weekend, but a lot of us are consuming far extra calories because the foods that we're consuming are actually meals out there at cafes, or at restaurants, it's takeaway on the run. So no, most of us aren't going to Macca's and KFC, but even things like cafe breakfasts, stopping at the sushi bar, getting an extra coffee, an extra pressed juice, that sort of thing, all of those extra calories sneak in because you've got to remember when you're not cooking the food yourself, restaurants and cafes will always add extra calories and sauces and oils and sugars and that sort of thing to your food to make it taste good so that you keep coming back for more. Cafes are not going to serve you bland food because you're not going to pay for it. You're not going to be impressed and you're never going to go back. They want to serve you delicious food so you keep coming back for more. So the more you eat out and socialize on the weekend, the harder fat loss is going to be. So point two is about the weekend derailing you, which for so many people, this is one of the biggest hit it. So I would suggest that you try to maintain some structure on the weekend. If you go to go out for larger meals, it's okay to have a combined breakfast and lunch and then an earlier dinner and just stick to two meals a day. If you're going to have some larger meals out, perhaps drop the snacking. If you want to go out and have a couple of drinks with some girlfriends on the weekend, perhaps have a healthy home-cooked breakfast and a healthy home-cooked lunch as well. We just need to find a little bit more balance on the weekend. And I think for a lot of us, it's enough to kind of kickstart that fat loss. Point number three, you're eating healthy foods, but you're not in a deficit. So the golden rule of fat loss is that you must be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. There is no way around this. Often I get questions and people say, I'm eating healthy, but I don't know if I'm in a deficit or not. Will I lose weight? Well, basically, if you don't know, if you're losing weight, you're in a deficit. If you're not losing weight, you're not in a deficit. So all a calorie deficit means is that you're eating less food than your body needs, because if you're eating what you're body needs. So we talk, we call that maintenance calories. If you're eating what your body needs or requires at maintenance, you are maintaining your weight. If you're eating more than your body needs, you're in a calorie surplus and you're gaining weight. If you eat less than your body needs, you're in a calorie deficit and you're losing weight. So for fat loss, we have to be eating in a deficit. We have to be eating less than what our body needs. 
Now, I just want to make a point that sometimes some people can clean up their diet and start eating a lot healthier and they will lose weight. But for a lot of us, eating healthy doesn't necessarily mean you're in a deficit. So if you are living in a larger body and you frequently eat takeaway, you have a lot of highly processed food in your diet, you drink a lot of alcohol or a lot of soft drink. Yes, cleaning up your diet will very likely result in weight loss, at least initially or for the first maybe 10, 20 kilos. Then you might have to change up the strategy. But if you are someone and your goal is only to lose, say, three to five kilos, you will likely need to calculate yourself a calorie deficit because all of the healthy, wonderful foods that we recommend as dietitians that people should be eating, I'm talking about, um, you know, as a prime example, you might go or create for yourself at lunch or eat at a cafe, a wonderful salmon salad, which is, you know, full of omega-3 fatty acids. You might have some avocado, some quinoa in there, some grains and some energy, some almonds sprinkled on top, all of that is wonderfully healthy, but for fat loss, it might just be too calorie dense depending on the size of your body. Same deal with breakfast. You might make a sort of a breakfast yogurt parfait. You've got some Greek yogurt, you've got some natural, you know, peanut butter, you've got some um, natural homemade muesli that you made yourself, some wonderful nuts and seeds in there. Then you've got some fresh mango because, you know, we're heading into summer in Australia and the mangoes are beautiful and some fresh berries as well. There is nothing wrong with that meal from a health perspective, but whether or not it's appropriate for fat loss will depend on the portions and the amount of calories in that meal. So eating healthy does not mean that you will necessarily lose weight. Eating healthy is absolutely important for health, but to get into that fat burning state and to to lose body fat, you need to calculate a calorie deficit. And the smaller your body or the the less weight you have to lose, the, I guess, stricter you're actually going to have to be with that. Most people in larger bodies can just do a general cleanup of their diet and the weight should come off pretty naturally to begin with. And then you might need to sort of look more closely at the calories and macros of what you're eating. My point number four is around non-hungry eating. So eating when you're not physically hungry. And I tell my clients that this is called head hunger. So tummy hunger or physical hunger is that hunger where you're actually physically hungry. Your body needs food or it needs fuel. The head hunger is that non-hungry eating. So think about how often you eat if you're bored, you're sad, you're stressed, you're emotional, you've had a bad day. Maybe you've had a good day. You want to reward yourself. Too often we're eating too often when we're not necessarily hungry and we're using food to numb our emotions. So our emotions are uncomfortable for a large you know, a large portion of it are uncomfortable. We need to learn to pause and we need to learn to feel our feelings and actually deal with our emotions because most of us are just eating or we're drinking alcohol to numb the emotion. It's just a band-aid fix. You will feel temporarily better, yes, after you drink a bit of alcohol or you eat a block of chocolate or you eat your feelings in the tub of ice cream. Yes, you will feel temporarily better, but afterwards you will likely feel just as bad or still be experiencing that emotion. That emotion or that feeling is still there. If you've had a bad day, if you're stressed, you're sad, you're bored, don't use the Band-Aid quick fix that food or alcohol can give us and actually just look at sitting with that emotion, feeling it, understanding it, and trying to work through that emotion with another strategy that doesn't involve eating. So one of my favorite quotes in the whole world says this, no amount of food will ever satisfy you if you are never truly hungry to begin with. Let me say it one more time. No amount of food will ever satisfy you if you are never truly hungry to begin with. So what this means is that 
Often I have clients who say to me, oh, I had such a long day. I don't want to cook when I got home. And I started eating the pantry and I'll say, okay, well, what did you eat? How are you feeling? They're like, I was so stressed. I'm tired. I'm really I'm emotional. I, you know, my boss, you know, talked down to me and et cetera, et cetera. And they'll say, so I went into the pantry and I just started snacking on some almonds, you know, and then I just felt like I needed something salty. So I got a couple of chips out of the bag and I was eating the chips out of the bag. And then I thought, oh, I really want something sweet. So I had some chocolate and it just wasn't cut. It. So then I went to the freezer and I got some ice cream and I started eating some ice cream and then it was really cold. So I thought, oh, I want something crunchy again. And I came back and I started eating the chips again. If you find that you're that person that moves from one food to another food to another food, and they're all different types of foods, like it's sweet, it's salty, it's crunchy, it's back to sweet. What you're doing is you're trying to satisfy an emotion that was never really hunger to begin with. So you're looking to use food to satisfy something that was never about food or hunger to begin with. So it's really important that mindfulness is key here and we actively work on reducing some of our emotions without using food. So it is perfectly okay to eat occasionally when we're feeling emotional. I do. I'll put my hand up. I'll admit it. Sometimes if I had a bad day, I've had a stressful day. I'll like, you know what? I know I don't need this glass of wine. I know I don't need this chocolate, but I'm going to own it. I'm going to eat it and I'm going to move on after that. It is perfectly okay to eat occasionally like I do as well, but we don't want this to be our only coping strategy. This is where we run into a lot of problems where food or alcohol is our only coping strategy for our emotions. I would say if I had to average it, I would use food or a glass of wine and never more than one, just one glass, A, because I'm still breastfeeding me a couple of times a day, but B, because I know that more than one isn't actually what my body truly needs. I could have two, three, four, I could polish up the bottle and I would still probably feel stressed or emotional or like there's something unresolved there to deal with. So you can use food or fluid occasionally, but if I'm being honest, I would say it's one out of 10 times I might do something like that. The other nine times I know that whatever food I'm craving is not really going to satisfy me truly and it'll probably make me feel worse afterwards or guilty afterwards that I then want to go and actually do something different. Like I'll do a bit of journaling or a guided meditation. I might call my mom. I might have a debrief with my hubby. I might um, write down and do a couple of different you know, strategies or tools that I use in my journal. So really just trying to explore what are some other ways I can reduce down or, or look at or deal with this emotion that doesn't always involve food. I'm interrupting the podcast to bring you a quick healthy break from today's sponsor, Malami. You might think that a meal prep bag is just for gym goers or maybe even office workers, but it's really not. I've used my Malami bag for many years. When I used to work at the hospital, I used it on the road between meetings to keep my lunches and snacks cold. And I've used it since becoming a mum and having Mia to take with us on day trips or adventures to the park. It keeps our snacks and our drinks cold and insulated all day long. Malami are great believers of eating well to look after your health and well-being because food and nutrition are key when it comes to living a healthy and balanced life and they have completely reinvented meal prep bags as you know them. Their Malami bags are functional and highly fashionable and I'm so happy to partner with them to offer you guys a 10% off discount if you use my code LEANNE10. This works off the entire range of bags and also other products and accessories but not during a sale. Visit malami.com.au to see the range of bags and accessories. 
My fifth tip, so we're halfway there now, is that you are tracking incorrectly. Now, I know a lot of people use things like MyFitnessPal to track, which is absolutely okay. But particularly if it's a good strategy that works for you, I often will get my clients to track things like fiber or calcium in something like MyFitnessPal because it's a great tracking tool. But you need to remember that it's just a tool. It's not always 100% accurate. So a lot of people aren't losing weight because what they're doing is they're tracking inaccurately. So a lot of times they're only tracking what they want to track. So they leave a lot of things out, right? They might measure out their dinner. Then they have a couple more spoons out of the tub or they might be sprinkling the cheese on the pizza. Then they're also eating handfuls of it out of the bag. If you only track what you want to track, it's likely that you're not going to lose weight. Also, people are choosing the wrong sizes. Like they might have some chicken, some noodles, some stir fry for dinner, and they're just estimating how much they had in terms of a weight rather than putting it in. So they're saying, oh, I had 100 grams of chicken, I had 100 grams of noodles, but they don't actually know. And if the chicken you had was 125 grams and the noodles was 110 grams, you don't think that it makes that much different in one meal, and it probably doesn't. But if you're consistently overestimating three, four, five meals a day, seven days a week, and then you're jumping on the scale once a week and it's not going down, it's because you're a little bit out in all of your calculations. Now, you also need to know that by law in Australia, nutrition labels can be off by as much as 20%. So if you're eating a protein bar and you're scanning that into something like MyFitnessPal, there's nothing wrong with this, but it's not 100% accurate or you can't assume that it's 100% accurate. So if you're eating a lot of packaged foods that you're scanning all of these labels in, guess what, guys? These can be out by up to 20%. So if you're scanning in your stir fry sauce and the packet of noodles and um, the the, um, packet of marinated chicken breasts, and then you're scanning in the almonds that you're putting on top of that, and then for dessert, you're having some custard and some fruit and some cake and you're scanning on those labels as well, over time, what happens is you can actually be quite off in terms of those labels. And same deal with menus. In Australia, you might go and you might get a lot of takeaway, but you're like, you know what? I'm choosing the leanest options of the menu. I'm tracking it. I'm putting it in my app. I'm all good. Menus as well can be off by as much as 20%. So companies and food companies and cafes don't actually have to have exact nutrition analysis on their labels. They can be off by 20%. And then the other thing with that is if you're eating at somewhere like, I don't know, McDonald's or GYG or those fast food joints that use teenagers, a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old is making your food. Yes, there are guidelines in terms of how much those people should be putting into, I don't know, a burger or a salad or that sort of thing. But you can rest assured that most of these kids aren't actually using the measuring utensils that they're provided with. Just this slapping bits in. And there's, a, there's a patty. There's a bit of sauce. There's a bit of cheese. They're just whacking stuff into your meal. They're not actually measuring it accurately. So the menu itself can be off by 20%. And then the person measuring your food or what you've actually eaten, if it's not you, that can be off as well. So there's a lot of inaccuracies when it comes to tracking. You can use tracking as a great tool, but I wouldn't take it as like the gold standard. And the final point I'm going to make about tracking and something that I think I don't know if a lot of people are aware or unaware of this, but a lot of people will choose foods that meet their agenda. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before where once many years ago, I was out with a friend and she was tracking her calories and she was saying, oh, I'm not losing weight. This is a nightmare. And I watched her order her coffee, which is a large one on full cream milk. I watched her add sugar to it. Then I watched her eat her brownie. And I said to her, oh, how do you track that? And she goes, oh, I just, I just pick coffee. And so she just type in coffee. She wouldn't, you know, specify a large coffee, full cream milk, 
milk with sugar. She'd just type in coffee and choose one. And then she'd type in brownie and she'd scroll down and she'd say, oh, brownie, oh, 600 calories, 400 calories. Oh, this brownie is over 150 calories. I'll choose this brownie. So she's choosing foods that meet her agenda. But I can tell you with my experience in nutrition, I'd been a dietitian for a couple of years already when, when we had, I think, morning tea years ago. I could tell you that that brownie was well over three, 400 calories. And that cup of coffee that she had, the large one was probably closer to 150, 200 calories. So she's logged for morning tea that she's had maybe 200 calories where she's looking at upwards of four, 500 calories for that, you know, treat and coffee. So I think you just have to be fairly tuned into the things that you choose. If you are searching for different foods in the app, if you're eating at a restaurant and you don't know what is in your food, you're better off to overestimate potentially than actually underestimate and think your salad is only worth 200 calories when most the average salad at a cafe or restaurant will be well over four, 500 calories, even though it's a healthy, option. There's some great ingredients in there. There's dressings, there's cheeses, there's avocados, there's grains, there's, um, you know, starches like sweet potato. Um, and often there's lots of seeds and, and, and oily type dressings on top with tahini or extra virgin olive oil, which is all wonderfully healthy ingredients. They're just, um, you know, higher calorie things. So sometimes not the most ideal things for fat loss. So that brings me to point number six, which is that you have calculated your requirements wrong. So I said it before, you need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. And that's accurate. I'm not going to change my mind here, but that for a lot of people requires a bit of a calculation. So there's many online calculators. People often ask me, oh, which is the best one? Just choose one and take it with a grain of salt because you can set your requirements. And if you jump on the scale in a week or two and you haven't lost anything, it's likely that those requirements are either inaccurate or what you're doing to calculate and track those requirements are inaccurate. So then you've got to pull back and adjust a little bit. But the problem is that most people aren't consistent enough over time to actually see whether or not those calculations are accurate. So in terms of calculating your requirements, you definitely want to do your height, your weight, your age, your activity level. And if you've got it, something like your body fat or your muscle mass percentage as well. That's going to give you the most accurate representation of an estimation of your requirements. And then from there, I would generally do between sort of a 10 to 20% deficit. I find that anything more than about a 20% deficit for a lot of people is difficult because you feel hungry and larger deficits aren't necessarily the best. So with your requirements, I want you to keep in mind that most of us think that we move far more than we actually do. And we think that we eat far less than we actually do. So when you look at those requirements and those online calculators, just take the movement down a notch. Like unless you are someone who is like training for an ultra marathon or you run triathlons for fun, or you legitimately are super active, like you might be a roofer and you're out in the hot sun all day, logging materials all around everywhere. Plus you go to the gym seven days a week and then you like to go for an afternoon walk after you finish work. Or you might be a PE teacher where you're running after the kids all day. Plus you hit the gym in the morning, plus you walk your dog in the afternoon. Okay, great. You are really active. But for most of us, we do a 40 minute high intensity class at the gym. Then we sit down on our butt at a desk job most of the day. Then we go home, we cook dinner, then we sit on the couch for a few hours. We are not anywhere near as active as what we think. And just because you might work out at the gym class four or five days a week, I would not call you an active person if you have a desk job and you don't get anywhere near 10,000 steps a day. So I think for most of us, when we're calculating our requirements, take your exercise down a notch if you're the average type of Australian. 
Now, my final point I'm going to make when you're thinking about your calculations and your requirements, calculate your requirements and put yourself into a deficit and see what happens. If you consistently stick to your calculations for your deficit for two weeks and there is zero drop on the scale, you've likely calculated your deficit wrong. So pull back a little bit more or you've likely overtracked your food, which will still mean that you need to pull back in terms of your numbers a little bit more anyway. So if you've consistently stuck to the plan, it's been two weeks, your body's not telling you there's any signs that you're, you know, bloated or constipated or puffy or retaining a lot more fluid, you need to change up the plan. What people do is they go two weeks, oh, nothing's changed. My weight hasn't moved. I quit. What's the point? That's the point where you need to stay more consistent than ever and change up the plan a little bit. Because if you do that, you will very likely see results in another one to two weeks. So most people quit after two weeks. So you've just got to be consistent and you have to create a lifestyle plan for yourself that really ensures that what you're doing is maintainable in the long term and enjoyable. If you're going to quit after two or four weeks, there's really no point in even beginning because you're very likely to put the weight back on again. So create a fun, enjoyable lifestyle plan for you. And if you can't do that or you don't know how, now is the perfect time to join my coaching service, Link Up My Method, or just link in with another dietitian and really just explore what they can offer you in terms of support and a personalized plan. Now, tip number seven, I've kind of already talked about this already, and now I'm regretting it because I made it a whole point, but I've kind of talked about it already. But tip number seven I had for you guys, or the, the thing that I wanted you to think about from a fat loss perspective was thinking that you're moving more than you really are. Because most of us, honestly overestimate our activity. And most of the clients that I work with have desk jobs and they say, Leanne, I love exercise. I do heaps of exercise. Exercise isn't my problem. It's nutrition. I need to work with you for nutrition. I say, yep, cool. Come on, sign up. Let's go. And then once we get chatting, I realize that yes, they exercise, but it's not enough for fat loss or it's not enough to meet the big goals they have like 10, 20, 30 kilos. So if you have a desk job, I said it before, and you're doing a 30, 40 minute gym class, because let's be honest, a lot of these places, like F45 and fit stop, they're great types of exercise. The classes, or you're there for 45, 50 minutes, five or 10 minutes of that's a warm up and the, you know, the demonstration of what to do. Most of the time you're only working out for 30 to 35 minutes. And if you think about 24 hours in a day, if you're working out for 30 minutes, five times a week, that ain't anywhere near enough if you have a desk job. So for fat loss, if you have a desk job, you will very likely some days need to do two exercise sessions a day. So I'm talking about the normal weight or gym or exercise class that you do plus an extra walk. Now, It's cruel and I'm the same because I have a desk job. I sit down and I either chat to clients, I'm building meal plans, I'm building content or posts for social media or I'm recording podcasts. A lot of what I do has to be seated. I don't feel comfortable chatting to my clients and trying to, you know, um, give them really practical tips if I'm out walking the streets and there's horns from cars honking behind me. So I really do what I do and I have to sit at my desk. So I ideally, well, I get in a weight session about four or five times a week on a good week, three times on a bad week, and I will walk roughly, I would say five to six times a week for about an hour to an hour and a half each day. So a lot of people might consider that a double exercise session, but because of my desk job, I'm purely not getting in the steps that are required for good health for me. So this 10,000 step is a population baseline goal. You don't have to reach that goal, but that's what's really been decided in the research that is really good from just a general health perspective in terms of humans should be moving that much. And if we 
we're not, a lot of us will have to do a bit of formal activity in order to get our steps high enough. So I appreciate that a lot of people don't have time for a double exercise session. I've only got one baby at the moment. I put her in the pram and David and I go for a walk most mornings and then I block out my calendars so I can attend a gym session a couple of times a week. So I'm very strict and structured with my exercise, but I appreciate that for whatever reason, some people can't, they don't want to, it's just not possible. I get that. So I think the general goal should just be to move a little bit more than you're actually doing. If you're not losing weight and that's your goal, yes, nutrition plays a large role in fat loss, but steps are really, really underrated. If you wear something like a Garmin or some sort of uh, tracking watch that allows you to track your steps and say on average, you get roughly three to 4,000 steps on average a day to ask you to do 10,000 steps from there is probably a little bit unrealistic. So I would just say aim for 2000 more. If you're roughly getting in about two, 3000 steps a day, aim for 5,000 steps. That is enough to move the needle in the other direction when it comes to fat loss. That should be enough to actually get a little bit more off over time. So just think about where you are, what your baseline is. If you already exercise five days a week at the gym, you probably don't want to do much more than that because you actually need time to rest and recover. But steps are something that is a low intensity exercise. It's almost like a recovery exercise, just a gentle walk each day, but you need to do a little bit. Like most of us will need to go for at least an hour just 10 minutes around the block. I mean, it all depends on your baseline and where you're starting. If you don't do any exercise at all, then yeah, 10 minutes around the block might be absolutely wonderful and more than enough. But if you're someone who's been exercising for a long time, you've been on this fat loss journey, you might've lost five, 10 kilos, but you've still got another five or 10 to go. You need to ramp up your exercise. You need to get your steps up and just do a little bit more. And you need to tighten up your nutrition and pull yourself into sort of maybe a, a slightly larger deficit for that fat loss to continue on. So point number eight is that you're making critical health decisions when you're tapped out. Now, this is a really interesting point. Now, I did a podcast episode. It was number 120 on this podcast, Leanne Ward Nutrition, and it was called Healthy Habits Suck. It's a very recent one, and I did it with a clinical psychologist called Dr. Dana Lee Bagley. Now, she is fabulous. I would highly encourage every single one of you listening to this podcast to go back and listen to that podcast in full. What I'm saying now will make sense because a big reason that so many of us aren't losing weight is that we're self-sabotaging ourselves. We are making critical health decisions when we are completely tapped out at the end of the day. We're expecting ourselves to do things when we have zero energy or zero battery left. So in the potty, Dr. Dana gave us a great example. She was basically saying that we need to make decisions regarding our health earlier in the day because the earlier we make them, the better they can serve us. We want to try and map out our day and make conscious good decisions earlier so it's easy to follow through on them later. So on the podcast, Dr. Dana basically gave us this example where she's saying, right, as a clinical psychologist, if she allows clients to book in all night and she opens her calendar till 9 p.m., even if she's prepped beforehand a really healthy meal, if she finishes work at 9 p.m. at night, there's basically a 100% chance that she's going to go hell no to that prepped meal and go and eat some ice cream for dinner. Versus if she winds back the clock an hour and she finishes at 8 p.m., there's a 50-50 chance that A, she might eat some ice cream for dinner, or B, she might actually eat that prep meal. Now, if she winds back the clock an hour earlier at 7 p.m., there's a very good chance that she's probably likely to eat the meal that she prepped. And if she finishes at 
5 p.m. that day, she will likely go to the gym, is going to release some happy, healthy endorphins, and then she's very likely to go home, eat that prep meal, and do something else, another positive behavior change as well. So what she's saying is that if you leave all of your critical health decisions until the point where you are completely tapped out in your energy, like 9 p.m. after a massive workday, it's completely unrealistic for you to try and make health conscious decisions in that moment. But if you set your boundaries, make those critical health decisions earlier, lock your calendar and say, I'm leaving work or I'm finishing work or no one's booking in with me after 5 or 6 or 7 p.m., whatever it might be there is a very good chance that you will have the brain capacity and willpower and energy to actually make a conscious health decision. So don't leave your critical health decisions until you've got zero battery left. And Dr. Dana really talks about this and breaks it down even a lot simpler than I did. So you can really understand the tipping point for some of these critical health decisions, which long-term are needed in order for you to lose the weight and actually maintain it long-term. Alrighty, home stretch now. Point number nine. You have plateaued in your weight loss journey and you actually need to take a break from dieting. So if you have been consistent for a full four weeks and the scale is stuck, it is not a budging. Like you might have lost five, six, seven, 10, 12, 20 kilos, but you've gotten to the point where in the last three to four weeks, that scale has not moved. I'm not saying slow down. I'm saying literally not moved. You you have a couple of choices. You either need to move more you need to reduce your calories down or you need to stop dieting altogether. Consider reverse dieting and actually bring your calories back to maintenance calories and give yourself a break from dieting. Often we try to reach our weight loss goal all in the one deficit. So I work in a 12-week coaching program within Link Up My Method, and the majority of my clients, I would say, have goals of between, I'd say between seven to 15 kilos. A lot of the time they'll get to about seven, if they're in a bit of a larger body, potentially 10 kilos with me. And then what I'll do is I'll start their reverse diet and I say, right, we're taking a break from dieting now. Your body, mentally, you need a break from dieting. We're going to reverse diet you. We're going to teach you to maintain in this new body that 7, 8, 10 kilos smaller. And then we're going to dive back into a deficit later on. Too many of us are pushing in a fat loss phase and pushing and pushing and pushing. And our body's literally telling us the opposite. Hey, I need more food. I need to come out of this deficit. I need a bit of a break. If you've been dieting for the better part of three to four for months, it is very likely that your body, both physically and mentally, needs a break from dieting. And a big signal that our body actually tells us is a plateau. So you can plateau for many reasons. And if you feel like you've got a wiggle room to move in your diet, like yes, you can pull your calories down a bit. You can be a little bit stricter with the alcohol you have or the socializing that you have, or maybe you can do a few more steps in your day. Great. If you choose to stay in a deficit, you need to make those changes in order for the scale to continue to go down. But if you hit a plateau, you were mentally exhausted from dieting. You couldn't possibly take down your food anymore because you're already hungry and you actually couldn't do any more exercise because you've got zero time in the day and you're tapped out already doing what you're doing. That is a clear sign that you need to take a break from dieting. You don't have to put all the weight back on. Just learn to maintain where you're at with a bit more food. You have to increase your calorie load. You can't stay on these low calories forever. You're just doing your metabolism a massive disservice 
service and you're going to start to feel so hungry that you're going to begin to overeat and you're very likely to put the weight back on again. So find an expert that is skilled in reverse dieting, such as myself, and work with them in order to return yourself back to maintenance calories, maintain the weight loss, and then later on you can drop back down into a deficit and get the final bit of X amount of kilos off that you need to, but you need to have a break from dieting first. A plateau for most of us, if we've been dieting for three, four, five plus months, is a clear sign that we actually just need a bit more calories and the body needs a break. My final point, number 10. The 10th reason why you're not losing weight is because you are giving up too quickly. You guys need to remember that change takes time. When I start my clients, I say to them, I do not want you to jump on the scale for two weeks. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Two weeks is the right amount of time that your body needs to take to mobilize some fat stores. If you start your diet on a Monday and you're jumping on the scale by Wednesday expecting to lose weight, you are absolutely doing all of the wrong things. Fat loss for most of us takes at a minimum of one to two weeks to truly mobilize from the body. For some of us, two, three, four weeks. A lot of fat loss is happening in the background. You don't even see that being reflected on the scale. So too many people get caught up in this quick, rapid weight loss cycle. So I just want you to remember that if you've lost the weight in a quick, rapid, restrictive way to begin with, and you put it back on again, it didn't work for you. I have so many clients who jump on calls with me and they say, Leanne, I really need to lose weight. I've got to lose 10 kilos. The only thing that's worked for me in the past was doing a gym challenge. And I say, oh, well, how did it work? Why did it work? And they say, oh, because I lost eight kilos. And I said, well, what happened? And they say, well, I put it back on again the minute the gym challenge finished. And if you've done that challenge three times and you've lost the eight kilos and you've regained it again, guess what? It didn't actually work. If you put the weight back on, it doesn't mean something worked. And so many times I have clients say to me, the only way I've ever been able to lose weight is when I did the OptiFast diet or when I did meal replacements or when I you know, was exercising twice a day. And I say, well, what happened when you stopped that? Oh, I put all the weight back on. If you lose the weight and put it back on again, what you did to lose it was not successful. I need to get that into your head, guys. It wasn't successful. Just because you lost it, it was only successful if you actually learn how to maintain it. You actually need to find a new way to lose the weight and maintain it because I only count weight loss as successful if you maintained it for 6, 12 months, 6, 12 years even. That is successful weight loss. So let me remind you that true fat loss takes time, right? If your goal is 10 kilos, you need to give yourself six months, not six weeks in a gym challenge, six months. If your goal is 15 to 20 kilos, you need a whole year, if not more. If your goal is 30 plus kilos, you need two years. You have to adopt the lifestyle approach and enjoy what you're doing. If you can't do it for a whole year, if what you start, if that keto diet or that no sugar diet or giving up gluten forever, if you're not celiac, if what you start you can't do in 12 months time, you probably shouldn't even bother starting it because you're very likely to lose it and regain it, lose it and regain it. And over time, you just end up slowing your metabolism down, which is not ideal for fat loss. And that's why most people who yo-yo diet will regain more than they actually lost. They actually end up heavier at the end of the day. So stop quitting, stop being super strict and stop giving up too quickly. Do what you're going to do and do it for two weeks before you jump on that scale. And if it goes down even a little bit, even if it's just 
500 grams in two weeks or a kilo in two weeks. I know your brain wants five kilos, but one kilo in two weeks is amazing because guess what? That's two kilos in a month. And if you stay sustainable and you do it the right way, that two kilos in a month is 24 kilos in a year. When you're only losing, and I say only in like inverted commas with my fingers, when you're only losing 500 grams a month, that's still six kilos in a year. That's amazing, guys. Most of us would pay good money to lose six kilos. It doesn't matter if it takes you a year. The fact that you can lose it and keep it off long term is absolutely the most important point. So stop quitting. Stop giving up when you don't see the change that you want in three days time and actually be consistent over the weekend and consistent for a good two weeks before you consider if you need to actually change up your plan. So they are my top 10 reasons why you're not losing weight. Now, I don't think I would ever meet somebody who's doing all of those things wrong, right? I think that for most of us, it's just one or two things, perhaps one big thing that we're really going wrong. And that's the big kicker in terms of why the scale is not going in the direction that we want it to. So have a listen to this, take some notes, go back and rewind it if you need to, and absolutely make sure you uh, listen to Healthy Habits Suck podcast by Dr. Dana, because it's, it's really wonderful. And I think a lot of you will get so much out of that podcast. So that is all for me today. It is currently 10 p.m. at night on a Thursday night. I really need to go and have a cup of tea and go to bed. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast today. If you like the single episodes that I do around some of these bigger topics that I know a lot of people struggle with, please feel free to leave me a positive comment in the Purple Apple podcast app. Let me know what you enjoy about the potty and let me know any future ideas for other podcasts or send me a DM on Instagram. I am at the fitness dietitian. All right, guys, that is all from me today. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and I hope you took some notes and learned a lot and I will catch you all in my very next podcast episode. 